0: What an exciting time we are in. I don't know what your week has been like, but mine has been very full. I've been in some presbyters' meetings this week, and that means about 30 men from around this northern California area have been meeting, dealing with various aspects of the work of the Lord, and that always means testimonies of what's happening in various places. And then Thursday night and Friday, I had the joy of being a part of Jesus West Coast too at Santa Rosa, where upwards of 10,000 people have been gathered in a great celebration. And what an exciting experience. One testimony out of the presbyters' meetings that I think is indicative of what's happening today comes from the mountains way up above Susanville where it snows in the winter and uh, people use wood stoves to keep warm by. There's a little town there of 1,100 people, and in that town there is an Assemblies of God church. The Wagner family went there to pastor some time ago, and there were seven people when the Wagners had their first service But in the last year to a year and a half, over 100 people have been converted in that little town, which is a tenth of the population, and in the last month, 15 have come to Christ, and they just bought a church across the street that was floundering so they could have more space for education. I won't tell you the denomination, but it's another church It wasn't doing very well. Well, you can imagine when they're getting over a tenth of the town in their church, what it would mean to a church that is just sitting there doing nothing. That's the kind of revival that's taking place in many, many places around this country and around the world. Impact kind of revival. They had a baptismal in the river just last week. This is the time of the year to do that up there, not other times of the year. Then uh, to turn on PTL and see the great revival that's happening down in uh, Charlotte under the inspiring leadership of one of our evangelists. Many marvelous healings and victories. And somebody told me that Dr. Robert Schuller even prayed for the sick on his telecast last Sunday. And that was a remarkable pronouncement. Uh, And it really might be the hour of power. Isn't that great? Praise God for the publicity Jesus is getting. I'm grateful for that kind of publicity. And I hope you're excited about being a child of God and a follower of Jesus Christ today. We welcome all of you in the name of the Lord and... So pleased to have you visiting us from out of town. I see the Lelands back there from Olympia. So good to see you folk. God bless you. And others who are here from various places, we trust you feel the warmth of our Lord's presence. I'm in a series of messages that are titled, Happiness Is. And this morning our theme is, Happiness Is the Disciplined Life. We have read from John 15 and John 18 about discipleship. The girl asked Peter, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Now, whether we like to face it or not, that's the question of this hour. Are you one of his disciples? Well, you may be saying, I have received him into my life. I didn't ask you that. Are you one of his disciples? John 15 bears those tremendous words about bearing fruit. Without me you can do nothing. Verse 5 says, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done. Are you living that kind of life that keeps Jesus right at your fingertips at all times? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask anything and it will be done. Are you one of his disciples? Then in verse 7, in this is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. What is the sign of discipleship? Bearing much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Happiness is the disciplined life. The premise of my message today is based on experience and practicality. I have yet to find a happy person who is trying to live for Jesus and the world at the same time. That person is miserable. That person is unhappy. That person is confused. That person is powerless. That person's prayers are not apt to be answered. The happy person is the disciplined person, the person who has come into a discipleship relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you one of his disciples? That was the question that the little damsel asked Peter as he warmed himself at the fire while Jesus was inside being judged by Pilate. The life that wins is a disciplined life. Now, broadly speaking, and I mean very broadly speaking, every Christian is a disciple or a follower of Jesus. And yet it is possible to be a Christian, to be saved, to bow your knee to Christ and know your sins are forgiven and yet not tread the path of discipleship. A disciple is a disciplined Christian. That's what the word means, a disciplined Christian. Are you one of this man's disciples? It's a disturbing Challenging question, almost a haunting question. Am I one of his disciples? On August the 3rd, 1980, am I one of this man's disciples? Now before you answer the question, consider with me what Jesus said about being one of his disciples. We're going to have to keep our finger in the book of Luke and our finger in the book of John to find the answer to the question, are you one of his disciples? Do I live a disciplined life? I want you to look at the master's teaching this morning to see if you are one of the Lord's disciples. The first clue is in the 14th chapter of Luke, verse 26. Luke, chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus is talking to his disciples about the testing of discipleship. And he said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now there is a very disturbing word in verse 26, and it's the word hate. The meaning of the word is, if any man come to me and love less. and does not love less his father, his mother, his children, his wife, his brethren, he cannot be my disciple. That's the word hate. It's a very strong word, and it literally means if you don't love less your father, mother, wife, children, you can't be one of the Lord's disciples. So here's the first test of discipleship. It's hating. Isn't that incredible? To be a disciple, you have to hate. You have to love less those that are dear to you and close to you. One of the paraphrases of this passage in Luke 14 reads like this, Anyone who wants to be my follower must love me far more than he does his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers or sisters. Yes, more than his own life. Otherwise, he cannot be my disciple. Now, take the test as we go along. And are you making notes? We're doing that during this series so we don't forget these teachings of our Lord. The response to this question, do I hate or love less those that are around me, is this. Our Lord taught us to love and not hate anyone. Must I hate my parents, my husband, my wife, my children if I am to be a disciple of Christ? In the truest sense of the word, the answer is an absolute, unqualified, yes, we must. It means that the Lord Jesus must come first. And let me put it into perspective, if I may. If a choice has to be made between my relatives and what they want and Christ and what he wants, then he must come first. That is exactly what he's saying. If there is a choice to be made, Jesus said you must choose me or else you will not be my disciple. You will not have the joy of a disciplined life. Jesus first, others next, yourself last. That spells joy. That's what Jesus is teaching us. If the test comes, Christ or parent, Christ or husband, Christ or wife, Christ or child, it must be Christ first. Hating. If it has to do with my own life, my own physical well-being, my own material well-being, it must be Christ before this body, before this life. Christ must be first. It is not I that liveth, Paul said, but Christ that liveth in me. That is happiness, the disciplined life. Now in Matthew 10, 37 and 38, Matthew records similarly the words of Jesus. Matthew 10, 37 and 38. If you love your father and mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. Jesus was talking to a Jewish group of men whom he knew would be hated and despised by family and nation. He knew they needed this teaching on discipleship because they were going to be called upon to great sacrifice. And so he said to them so forcibly, you must love me more than you love this nation. You must love me more than you love the temple. You must love me more than you love your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, your mother or father. You must love me more than all of them. For if you don't, when you're called upon to give your life for me, you will not be ready to do it. And they remembered his words, following his resurrection. And every last one of those disciples, except one, died a martyr's death. John died naturally out on the Isle of Patmos, exiled, but died a natural death in old age. All of the other disciples who heard Jesus speak these words died at the hands of their enemies, their own kindred, their own people. Because of their testimony of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important to ask, am I one of his disciples? You see, we are faced with a decision many times in life. Is Christ really first in my life? Is he first in my home? Is he first in my business? In all of my affairs is Jesus number one. What or who do I put first in all that concerns me in this life? Jesus said, You have to hate all others, love less all others, or you're not worthy of being my disciple. Are you one of his disciples? It's a haunting question, isn't it? Could I give up my wife for Jesus? Would I give up my sons for Jesus? If it came down to that and we were invaded and people stood with bayonets in front of us and would say, denounce Jesus Christ or I will kill your wife or I will bayonet your sons, what would we do? Would we say, I cannot deny Christ or would we seek a way out? Disciples were asked to come to that very point in their relationship with him. You must love less all others and love me more or you're not worthy to be my disciple. Hating is a quality of a disciple. The second thing I read in the Gospels, again, chapter 14 of Luke, verse 33, is the word forsaking. The second quality, forsaking, so no one can become my disciple unless he first sits down and counts his blessings and then renounces them or he forsakes them all for me. Whosoever forsaketh not cannot. That is the way you should read it. Whosoever forsaketh not cannot be my disciple. That simple. I have no claim to what I have. You have no claim to what you have if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You cannot say, this is my suit of clothes, that's my car sitting out there, that's my house. You have no claim to it. Unless you're willing to forsake all, you cannot be his disciple. Are you his disciple? We have a terrible habit, we Americans. We talk about my house, my car, my furniture my children, my church, my this, my that, my bank account, my everything, when Jesus reminds us so forcibly that it can be gone in a moment unless you're willing to forsake all, you cannot be his disciple. That's why we can't get so enamored with this world. We dare not get so locked into the things of this life because one day it will be gone. And if we're his disciple, we'll be happy no matter what. If we're not his disciple, then we have trusted in all of this. And when it's gone, we fall apart and we have no opinions. We have no foundation. We have nothing to trust in except those things. And Jesus said, you have got to forsake them if you're going to be my disciple. Are you one of his disciples? It deals with forsaking. True discipleship, to, an, to renounce all personal claims. What a difference it makes when we come to this place of renunciation. If the Lord should take a loved one by death or our possessions, then at once we recognize that he has only taken what is his own. You see how important that is, this thing of discipleship? If he takes a loved one, if he takes something that's dear to us, Well, we just say, well, Lord, he or she was yours anyway. This was yours anyway. You've just taken what is yours, so blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a disciple. Disciples don't fall apart in funerals. Disciples do not crumble under pressure. Disciplined people do not lose their sense of belonging and their sense of direction because they have said in their heart anyway, it's all yours, Lord. Whatever you take, it's yours anyway. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what Job teaches us. He was able to say, though God slays me, I'm going to trust him. I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand in the latter day upon this earth and that though in my flesh worms destroy this body, I will see God. And when he was covered with boils from head to toe, sitting on an ash heap, scraping them with pottery, he wasn't broken. He wasn't shattered. His loved ones and friends were saying, curse God and die, Job. You must be a rotten individual. But he wouldn't curse God. He said, I know my Redeemer lives, and I'm all right. Hallelujah. The ability to forsake. Are you this man's disciple? In the parable of the laborers in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus said, Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? And isn't it lawful for him to deal with us according to his own plan and according to his own purpose? And isn't it right for us not to get all upset and uptight and wring our hands and and go through all kinds of circumstances inside when it's his anyway, cannot I deal with mine own as I will? He's sovereign. The second mark of a disciple, a disciplined life, is to forsake. Are you this man's disciple? Third word is the word continuing. John eight thirty one. We have to kind of look around now and find these particular passages that speak to this subject. John 8, 31. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's John 8:31. If you continue, then are ye to shape our lives in conformity to his word and his will is what continuing is about. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciple. Colossians three seventeen. whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. My life is his, not just on Sunday, but every other day of the week as well. My mornings, my afternoons, my evenings, my lying down and my rising up, it is all the Lord's. And whatever I do, I do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I continue in his word, and by continuing, I am his disciple. I live a disciplined life. I told the crowd at Jesus West Coast on Friday, the thing that haunts me about Jesus festivals and Sunday services is that we can come into this beautiful atmosphere and get so blessed, and so touched, and so inspired, and we say, glory to God, I'm going to serve Him like I've never served Him before. And by Monday at 3 o'clock, it's all drained out, and we're not continuing. Because we've depended on a feeling rather than a fact. If you continue in my word, not in a feeling, not in a high emotional pitch, but in the word, if you continue in my word, you will be my disciple. You see, I look around and see individuals falling apart. What is the biggest problem I see in the church? It's this thing of continuing, being constant, being a disciplined person, maintaining the glow. My wife said to me this morning while we were riding into the church, 7 o'clock and our program just came on the radio and I don't do that live. Don't think I get up every Sunday morning to do that radio program. I do that earlier. But she said, Oh, you make me so mad. I said, Well, why? She said, you sound so up and alive. Well, that's the way I prefer to live. Continuing in my word, Jesus today, Jesus tomorrow, Jesus yesterday, Jesus my life, Jesus my strength, Jesus my joy, Jesus my Savior, Jesus my healer, Jesus my baptizer, Jesus my coming King, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Continue in my word. A ship was sailing from the Orient with a large number of caged birds on board. In mid-ocean, crew and passengers alike noticed one restless bird that somehow escaped from its cage. In ecstasy, that bird swept through the air away and away from his prison. Freedom was his. Across the pathless waste, he disappeared. But after hours had passed to the amazement of the crew and passengers, that bird appeared again, struggling toward the ship with heavy wings. Panting and breathless, he settled upon the deck of the ship. How eagerly and painfully he had sought the ship again. Now no longer was that ship a prison, but his dear desired home out in the middle of that vast ocean. One of the passengers wrote of the incident, As I watched him nestle down on the deck, I thought of the restless being who breaks away from the restraints of the Christian way. With buoyant wing, he bounds away. But if B is not lost on the remorseless deep, he comes back again with panting, eager heart. Our Christian faith is not a prison. It gives the most perfect freedom in all that is good and in all that is safe. That's why Jesus said, continue, continue in my word. Be steadfast in the Lord. It's just like that bird. We think we've got to break loose. This is too painful to me. These rules, these regulations, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And we forget all the I can's that God has put in his word. And we want to break away from the cage in the prison. And we soar up into the heavens, but there's nowhere to land out there in that ocean of life. And finally, in our stupidity, with our wings broken, our lives bleeding, we come back and land where we left from in the harbor of God. Much wiser. Much wiser. Continue in my wings. Then I look at the nation of which we are a part. And my heart bleeds at the decline of a nation who will not continue. Think with me, the attack on the astronauts praying while orbiting the moon, the attack on under God in the Pledge of Allegiance, the effort to remove God from the army manuals of our country, removal of the Bible from classrooms and school libraries, the court ruling against the manger scene in the national Christmas celebration, banning invocations or benedictions at graduation ceremonies, banning baccalaureate services across this nation altogether, effort to force discontinuation of chaplains' prayer at the opening sessions of Congress, effort to remove in God we trust from our coins, the removal of requirement for those in our military academies to attend some worship service every week, no longer necessary. The use of A.D. in the year of our Lord is under attack right now. Do you know that? They want to take A.D. and B.C. away. The abolishment of the judicial oath, so help me God in the courts. Already one state is approved in Maryland. No longer do they have to say, so help me God. Voluntary school prayer was practiced for 171 years in this nation until the Supreme Court Decided in 62 and 63, we'd better not do it anymore. You know that the Bible is the only book legally denied in our public school systems. The only book in print that is denied in our schools is the Holy Bible. What's the matter with it? All centers around this word in John 8, 31. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Why are we in such bondage? Because we've departed from the truth. We're not continuing. It could be you as an individual. It is us as a nation. But it shall not be us as a church, because I go on record. As a pastor today to tell you that our only guidebook is this Bible. Our only source of inspiration is this book. Our only hope is in this Word. We shall preach it. We shall teach it. We shall practice it. We shall insist upon its truth. We shall demand it of all of our members. The Word of God is the source. And we will continue in His Word. We're not going to come up here with book reports and philosophical arguments We are going to come here week after week, month after month, year after year with the word of God if you continue in my word. You will be my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. We believe that. We ask you to come under the discipline of that word because it will make you free. Continue. The last word is the word loving. If you're going to be his disciple, you have to be loving. Oh, now, why didn't you end with number three, you're saying, huh? Well, we can't, because in John 13, 35, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you hate one another and act like babies, right? If you hate Russia and China and communists and Cultists, homosexuals, lesbians, if you hate them, then the world will know you're my disciples. Hello? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. That's the way of Jesus. Are you one of this man's disciples? Love is the badge of discipleship that the world recognizes. I was talking to one of our young men yesterday. He just happened into the office, and I was alone. I asked if he could talk to me a few moments. He was disturbed because he felt he was being rejected here in the church by his peers. He said, over where I work, I find such openings. People are seemingly attracted to me because of the joy of the Lord and the love of the Lord in my life. But he said, Here I don't know what is the problem, but I seem to struggle with relationships within the church. And I couldn't help but think how often it is true. In the place where we say love is, people feel things about each other. Are you one of this man's disciples? It's the mark of discipleship. It's the badge of discipleship. If you have love, not if you pretend to have it or talk about it or sing about it, if you have it, then you are one of my disciples. And, folk, I can't find any way around it. If you have love, you're one of my disciples. If you don't, you're not one of my disciples. You don't live a disciplined life. You can't hate anybody in the sense of hate that you know I'm speaking right now. You can't afford bitterness. You can't afford rancor. You can't afford resentment in your heart toward anybody. You can't hate your wife in the sense I'm speaking now or anybody, your boss, anyone. You can't afford that. You'll not be my disciple. You bear the grudge and the resentment and the bitterness of life. As I pondered and prayed over this message and this truth, God began to deal with me about something that I want to share with you in closing. As I thought about this mark of discipleship, the mark of love, it suddenly occurred to me that it is in the lives of people who are living according to this principle of Jesus that miracles seem to be happening. Just think about it for a minute. The people who really are reaching out and really are in tune, they're the ones who are experiencing God's miraculous touch. I read about Harry DeCamp of West Long Branch, New Jersey, who for 66 of his 69 years said, I had only a nodding relationship with God. He had the announcement given to him at age 66 that he had cancer of the bladder. And Harry said the cancer moved slowly until February of 78, when the doctor opened me up to remove my bladder, but sewed me up and said to me, Harry, the cancer is inoperable. How long do I have? The doctor said, maybe a year, maybe six months, maybe one day. I don't know. He was given painkillers as big as thumbnails and a supply of sleeping pills. Chemotherapy was next. He couldn't lie down without feeling choked. Then one day a card came to him in the mail, and it had a scripture verse on it Matthew 19, 26. With God, all things are possible. And he read it and he reread it and he read it again. With God, all things are possible. And in his mind and heart was this statement, suppose it's true, just suppose it's true with God, all things are possible. And then directed by the Holy Spirit, a copy of Guidepost magazine came to him with a cover story about a cancer victim. She prayed constantly. She went to God determined that he was going to heal her. Most of the time, she said, we knock on the door so timidly and open it just a little crack. We really don't expect God to reply. Well, she began to knock incessantly. She began to bombard the gates of heaven. And Harry took up that same feeling. He began to read. He saturated his consciousness with healing truth. A childlike trust in God came to him He prayed, God, I am knocking on the door. I am here before you to say that I know without any doubt in the world that you are going to heal me. Something stirred within him when he prayed that way. He called to his wife Beth. He said, I'm hungry. Bring me something to eat. And he hadn't eaten for a long time. He was brought a sandwich of ham and cheese and tomato and lettuce and devoured it. Harry prayed in a new informal faith way. He prayed in his easy chair. He prayed in bed a non-stop conversation with God developed. On the third day, following his initial encounter, he began to picture images, an army of white blood cells led by Jesus Christ, sweeping down from his shoulders into his stomach, swirling around in his bladder, battling their way into the liver and into the heart. Regiment after regiment, they came endlessly, the white corpuscles moving relentlessly on the cancer cells, moving in and devouring them, On and on the victorious white army swept down into his legs and feet and toes, then to the top of his body, mopping up stray cancer cells as they went, until at last the battle was over and Jesus Christ stood in triumph over that cancer. And Harry DeCamp walked and he played 18 holes of golf and he was healed. And he said, these two words have captivated my life. Only believe when miracles happen. Love is easy. When God is real, love is easy. Now, Harry DeCamp loves the whole world. Why? Because he believed what God said in his word. What's the big problem with Sunday morning Christians? We don't believe. We really don't believe. We go through a little act. We go through a little routine. We find our regular seat. We go through the choruses and we listen to the sermon and we go out of the church to be much like we were when we came. Not really believing. Not really having this nonstop conversation with a living Christ who said if you're going to be my disciple you have got to love. The only way you can love is to know me and the power of my resurrection. You've got to really know me. It can't be booked Learning. It's got to be heart experience, truth that has embedded itself into the fiber of your being. The little damsel said to Peter, Are you one of his disciples? And the Holy Spirit comes to Capital Christian Center this morning and he says, Are you one of his disciples? You belong to Jesus Christ. Your answer has to be couched in those four things that I've shared with you this morning. Uh huh. You have to hate have to forsake. Can you do those things? Huh? Are you one of his disciples? Do you love less those that are close to you than Jesus Christ? That's what you have to do. You have to forsake. He that will not forsake all houses, lands, mother, father, all of these things, he's not worthy. Are you one of his disciples? Bow your heads with me in prayer, would you? Heavenly Father, your Holy Spirit settles down upon us this morning, and so beautifully so. We thank you for the manifest presence of God in this place. Now, Lord, people's hearts are being dealt with. We are brought face to face with this question, am I really one of your disciples? Happiness is a disciplined life it's not this carefree go and come as you please attitude it's a disciplined purposeful life bound up with Christ our lord so lord not only speak to sinners that have come to church this morning who you need your forgiveness and need to come for a new birth experience but speak to christians who have received your forgiveness, but who are not living a disciplined life. Lord, touch them, I pray. In your mercy and kindness, heal us, that we may truly begin to love, that your healing power may flow through our bodies physically and spiritually and emotionally. And we will be whole, men and women, because Jesus is the Lord of our lives, and we are his disciples. Lord, grant it to everyone in this room this morning, I pray, in the powerful name of our living Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Before I say amen, I want everybody who needs Jesus Christ in your life as Savior to stand to your feet and you're saying, Pastor Cole, I believe the gospel. Today I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. I know that I am a sinner and Jesus is a Savior and I need him to come into my life. I want you to stand right now unashamedly to your feet and say by standing, I'm giving my life to Jesus. God bless you back here. I'm trusting Jesus. Just stay standing for a moment, if you will. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. God bless you back here, man takes courage to stand. God bless you, ladies who are standing. God bless you. How many more? I want to give my life to Jesus today. Happiness is a life given to Jesus Christ. Praise God for these who are standing. There are six ladies standing who want to give their lives to Jesus. How about some of you men? Are you following Jesus Christ? Are you a man's man? Do you really know Jesus Young people, do you know who Jesus is? Personally, he can come to you in a powerful way. Would you like to stand and say, I give my life to Christ today? With these who are already standing, it would be the best decision you ever made, I guarantee you. God bless you. Ladies, would you come and stand right down here in front with me? I have a tape I want to give you and a booklet. And while you're coming, may I ask Christians, you have received the Lord, but you will say today, Pastor, you've spoken to my heart from the word. I need that disciplined life. There are things in my life I've got to take care of. I can't say that I qualify according to those four points. Board members, would you come and meet these ladies and any elders that are here, please? Pastor Messner is recovering from the chicken pox, so we can't get him too close to people today. That's why he's staying up here, away. I've already had them, so I'm okay. But, uh, wives, you come too. It would be great to have you come down too. Or if you just come right along, if you'd like any others, as we pray with these dear ladies. Now, how about Christians? You want to stand and say, there are things in my life I need to deal with, and I'm standing, trusting God to deal with them right now. Would you stand right now, Christian? I want a disciplined life. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling us to here at Capital Christian Center. I mean real dedication. Oh, look at that. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God.